Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of A Photographic Life. Going to start off this week with a little bit of poetry. And death shall have no dominion. Dead men naked they shall be one. With the man in the wind and the west moon. When their bones are picked clean and the clean bones gone. They shall have stars at elbow and foot. Though they go mad, they shall be sane. Though they sink through the sea, they shall rise again. Though lovers be lost, love shall not. And death shall have no dominion. That was Dylan Thomas there, and I chose that little piece of text, poetry, writing as um, a mark of respect, really, to uh, two photographers that we've lost over the last couple of weeks, one of which had previously contributed to this podcast, Mick Critchlow. Check out episode 162 if you want to hear his contribution. If you don't know about Mick, let me just give you a bit of background. Mick was a social documentary photographer based in the northeast of England who worked on long-term community-based projects for over 40 years. The son of a miner, he uh, worked within the community with a deep-rooted empathy for the townsfolk in the area that he documented. He left high school in 1970 at the age of 15 years old without any academic qualifications and went straight into the workplace two days after leaving school, gaining full-time employment as a tailor's trimmer at a local clothing factory. From there, he went straight into the Merchant Navy as a cabin boy and worked his way through the ranks to become a steward cook whilst being active with the National Union of Seamen. In 1977, he enrolled on a two-year course at his local college studying art history and graphic design as a mature student. It was while at college that he picked up a camera for the first time and immediately fell in love with the medium and the process of photography. On seeing an exhibition of paintings by the Pitmen painters, he realised the value of art as a social document in the same year. He began a long-term photographic project which documented his hometown of Ashington, Northumberland. In 1979, he received a grant funding him from the Northern Art Arts Council of England to produce documentary photography work in the area. In 1980, he was commissioned by Side Gallery in Newcastle and was introduced to fellow photographers Chris Killop, Graham Smith and Circa Lisa Continen, who's also contributed to a previous episode who were also producing long-term projects on the working-class communities of the northeast of England. For the last 43 years, he has photographed the town, people and surrounding areas of Ashington, the town in which he was born. He was educated in and in which he lived until his sad demise, actually on his birthday. His work is held in public and private collections and it's been exhibited widely. A book of his work, Coal Town, was published in 2019. Rest in power, Mick. 
I also mentioned that we'd lost another photographer, and that was Dorothy Bohm, who was a German-born British photographer uh, based in London, known for her portraiture street photography and her early adoption of colour and photography of London and Paris. Now, one of the interesting things for me in the touch points was that um, Dorothy's work was included in an exhibition in the Institute of Contemporary Arts, the ICA, uh, titled Spectrum, and uh, it consisted of uh, a main exhibition called Woman, which had been brought over from Germany, if my memory serves me correctly, and four smaller exhibitions showing work by uh, Bohm, by Dorothy, by Don McCullen, by Tony Ray Jones, and that was the first exhibition of his work in the UK, and another Italian photographer called uh, Enzo Ragazzini. Well, what's interesting to me about this was that that exhibition was overseen by Bill Jay, uh, someone who you know I um, have spent a lot of my time researching and making work around. And also working with Bill at that time was Sue Davies, who went on to uh, found the Photographer's Gallery in 1971. So um, our best thoughts are with her family also. It's always sad when we lose photographers, but their work always remains with us. And that's, to me, what is so important. I often get asked about commissioned photography. You know, what's the reality of it? How does it work? Well, I recently received an email from a photographer sending on to me a general brief for photographers from a highly regarded publisher of magazines and newspapers. Um, the kind of place where I think you'd probably like your work to be seen and that you may well, if you're a listener to this podcast, be going to online to look at work. Anyway, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the general brief to you. It's quite poorly written, full of grammatical errors, and I'm going to leave it up to you to make your own mind up as to how you feel about it. So here we go. I'm going to read it out. It's quite long, um, but I think it's well worth sharing with you as the photographer who shared it with me felt it was worth doing so also. So here we go. A general brief for photographers. All photography is commissioned under our standard terms and conditions. Never shoot on film, not even one roll. I'm sorry, but it doesn't work for us. We are very serious about this and photographers will not be paid if they shoot on film. Digital only, please. We do not like grain, so please do not add grain to your digital images. Always send images by WeTransfer. No other option will be accepted. Don't send a huge edit. 10 to 15 shots of each setup is fine. Please send the images as large as possible to allow room for cropping where necessary. Obviously, we will try not to cro not crop drastically. I said it was poorly written without clearing with you first. Or if you want to crop an image, please crop so we can see what you would like. But do send us the full image so we have room to manoeuvre around gutter and headlines. Dark pictures do not work for us, as subtle tones get lost on the printing, and darker tonal areas end up as one black blob. While our paper absorbs a lot of ink and subtleties, dark blue won't work on a mid-tone, blue or vice versa. It will blur into one when printed. Even if it's a sad story, we don't want black. 
we like to keep the tones upbeat. Avoid a black background, although it can look dramatic for a contrasting headshot. Once you go full length, there can be too much black for us. But even with a headshot, make sure only if there is a smile and some other colour coming into the picture. Would prefer pictures lit rather than a grey day look. Bold graphic colours work well on our paper. Avoid shooting on white, as we have show through. Therefore, if you're shooting on a cove, drop to dr- drop, I should say, to grey background, or use a gel in the background to give some tone. Or if necessary, we will have to add colour in the background in post. We love colourful colour. Can't get enough. And the stylist is usually instructed to use colourful colours. We hardly ever use black and white, so if you like, you can provide this, but you must send the same picture in colour. Regarding styling, we always ask the stylist to wear colourful because of the above, so please continue this push on the day. There is on occasion that people won't wear this. Then please shoot somewhere and against something which is colourful. Remember, these are not press shots for a film. They are going to go with an interview. So don't think you should be influenced by something they are or have been in. Please do try creative approaches, but please always include some classic simple portraits of headshot, three quarter and full length in the mix. Generally speaking, we don't like random props. So if you want to try something, again, make sure there are plenty without the props. Environmental pictures as well as simple backdrops are good to have in the mix, if you can. If you are shooting them with an object in front of the subject, make sure you shoot them without the object too. On a layout, a talent with an object in front can be distracting. We like eye contact, so please make sure these are the majority of pictures. We do like smiles, so please make sure there is plenty. When there isn't a physical smile on the face, still make sure the eyes are smiling and the person doesn't look just plain grumpy. We love it when you catch a moment, but do take some still pictures too. Please be careful of the angle you shoot people, especially women. Don't shoot at a low angle, so you're shooting up someone's crutch. We don't like overtly sexy images. Make sure people don't have their arms crossed in every picture, as this can look defensive and angry. We have been known to scrap a shoot if the above isn't followed, so please don't be tempted to think you will ignore this brief and they will have to go with your creative. It will be a loss to both of us. If you have problems with it, please don't accept the job. Though, of course, we understand that on the day, there are certain aspects that can be beyond your control, and we do not want to create a bad atmosphere on the shoot. Landscape, shape, and portrait shape pictures, please. Difference needed for web. Generally speaking, the web is templated to landscape. If we use a landscape picture on the web, we need the head in the middle of the shot. If we are using a landscape shot in print, usually the person needs to be at the side of the shot, so they are not in the middle gutter, and we have space for words on one side. Colour balance images, but keep retouching to necessity rather than blowtorched. Hopefully your lighting will do most of the work. We do not pay for retouching. Well, over to you.
This week, we welcome to the podcast to explain to us what photography means to them in under five minutes, Dennis Dimmick, who is an American journalist, photographer, presenter and educator who grew up on a sheep and hay farm in the Willamette Valley of Oregon. He holds degrees in agriculture and agricultural journalism from Oregon State University and the University of Wisconsin-Madison. He also served for years as an executive environment editor for National Geographic magazine and was a picture editor for the National Geographic Society for more than 35 years until retiring in 2015. He now serves in a consulting and reviewing role for the Society's Storytelling Grant Program. Dimmock is particularly interested in making visual the effect on Earth's humanity's expanding presence in the emerging Anthropocene epoch and has written on these issues and at National Geographic guided several major magazine projects on this idea. Between 2008 and 2012, he co-organised the Aspen Environment Forum and presented at the 2012 Aspen Ideas Festival. In 2015, he moderated panels at the World Economic Forum. Demix has been a faculty member of the Missouri Photo Workshop for 23 years, and in 2013 he received the Sprague Memorial Award from the National Press Photographers Association for outstanding service to photojournalism. His picture and environmental project editing has received many awards from Pictures of the Year International and the Society of Environmental Journalists, where he served on the board from 2016 to 2019. Dimmick has served as a juror also for the Heinz Foundation Awards and the Par Lorentz Award for the International Documentary Association. He's also a member of the American Association for the Advancement of Science and the International Centre of Photography. That's one hell of a CV. I think it's time we heard from Dennis. Where to begin? I guess that would be back in college after I bought a used 35mm camera in 1970 and I disappeared into the student union darkroom for what now seems like weeks on end. I'd watch in amazement as prints came up in trays of developer in the murky faint red light. I'd spend all my free time taking pictures, developing film, and making bad prints. I'm amazed I passed my classes given my full-time obsession with making pictures. But it was fun, and I have tried to keep photography fun ever since, while learning how to make better pictures and better prints, to be more thoughtful and intentional about photographs, what they mean, and their role in our world. I've been fortunate that I could be drawn to photography as an avocation, a hobby, and turn that passion into a profession. I've been able to do work that I have loved and still love. Photography has taught me how to look at the world to try and make sense of the world and the meaning of what I'm looking at. Photography has been a ticket to knowledge. I was fortunate to be a picture editor and the environment editor at National Geographic magazine in Washington for many years, where I was able to propose, orchestrate, and collaborate with many photographers on nearly 100 magazine stories and major projects dealing with global environmental issues, like climate change, shrinking freshwater supplies, our growing world population, and the future of the world's food supply as climate disruption threatens crop harvests. 
Photography can offer evidence and proof. It has the power and potential to bring fresh and novel insights and understanding about our world. Photography can vicariously take us to faraway places, show us worlds we might never go or imagine ourselves going, whether it's a neighborhood in another part of town, a wildlife refuge in the Arctic, the moon, Mars, or the stars. My own journey in photography began really when I was young. I grew up on a small farm in Oregon in the U.S. I got a roll film camera for Christmas and documented my 4-H club farm youth group projects, my Suffolk sheep and Hampshire pigs, even a small field of russet potatoes. When I was a teenager, nearly half our small farm was taken by an interstate highway. The four-lane expressway cut the heart right out of our farm. I used a Kodak Instamatic camera back then to take a two-picture panorama. It shows my forlorn father looking over what had been pastures and a meandering wooded creek, transformed into two wide strips of concrete. Ever since, I've been attentive to what we do to land, water, and air in the name of progress. There is always a price. Money can never compensate for paradise paved. Photographs provide a record of the life of family and children, places visited, the nature of the world, and my own place in it. I believe in paying it forward, helping others just as generous elders helped me as I was crawling forward in photography, trying to craft my own path. For a quarter century, I've been on the faculty of the Missouri Photo Workshop, inspired by the work of the 1930s Farm Security Administration documentary photographers. We teach aspiring new generation photographers the power of visual narrative and how to find, research, propose, and produce their own picture stories. There's every reason that photographers can set their own agendas by imagining, creating, and following through on their own ideas. There is no reason to wait for the phone to ring. I'm very grateful that photography has become a passion. It has given me independence, a livelihood, and a voice. Photography has given me endless opportunities for creativity, to meet people, to see new places, to learn about the world we live in. Photography is such a powerful tool of memory and history. There is still so much to learn. Thanks, Grant, for asking me to participate in your ongoing What Photography Means to Me project. Thank you, Dennis, for contributing this week. Really great to have you on the show. Thank you also to all of you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope it's provoked some conversation, some discussion and some debate. And don't forget, over the next week, just take care. Mm-hmm.